Thanks for joining us at Mountainside Anywhere. We're praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you through his word. We trust that in seeing him, you will be moved to take your next step in loving God and loving others. If there's any way we can serve you, please reach out through mountainside.online. Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It is a, a privilege to be able to open the Word of God with you on, on Christmas Eve. And uh, for those who may be joining us online, although there was quite a few who reached out to let us know with the weather this morning, they were going to not try to drive over this morning. So good morning to all of you that are joining us online as well. And it's great to be together. I know there's a lot of friends of friends and family that's in town and a whole lot that are out of town and uh, pray for them as they are away. But uh, welcome for those who may be here with us that uh, you're joining us as part of our family this morning. And hopefully you find this to be a really sweet home away from home for however long the Lord has you here over this Christmas time. But uh, as Pastor Dave said um, earlier, just uh, we, we want to celebrate the love of Jesus. That is truly why we are gathered today um, and what we celebrate, what we worship. And uh, yeah, at the same time, today's message might be a little different than what you're expecting on a Christmas Eve uh, morning. Um, Merry crisis. Um, crisis at Christmas. Uh, maybe you've watched 10 Hallmark movies in the last month that all seem similar to Crisis at Christmas because they're all kind of like that. Um, but truly, um, even if you just know a little bit of the story, even what Dave, uh, Pastor Dave mentioned this morning, like we, we, we understand that there was a significant crisis going on in the story of Jesus' birth. In fact, you could probably take various aspects and characters and uh, in, in develop the crisis out for each one of those characters. Today, we're really going to hone on, on on one particular character, but uh, if you're not in a crisis, your last crisis was probably not so long ago, or we know for sure that there another crisis is coming around the corner. It just is inevitable in the life that we live. Uh, I know for some, uh, truly, you feel like, kind of like the candle, like it's like the crisis is burning at both ends. Um, and in the middle of this season, it's, it may be difficult, and there's hard things that are related to whatever life is bringing you, whatever the circumstances are. Um, I, I want to share, um, I'm going to start today by sharing two specific crises in my life and in our family's life. Um, because I hope that when we get to the end today, that what you will see is a pattern for the way that you can handle and go through your own crisis. And we're going to see that pattern unfold in one of the characters in the Christmas account as well. The first crisis I want to walk you through in, in my life uh, before I uh, had my family and, and knew my, my wife, uh, it was... Several years before, in the summer of 99, that's right, like the great song, Summer of 99. Oh, it's not the right year, but um, Summer of 99. So I thought in the middle of the summer of 99 that as I uh, was in, uh, I think that would be my, my end of my third year of college um, and was working on World of Life Island at the time, uh, in the middle of that summer, I would have told you that my life plan and direction over the next year was finish at the island, go back to college, play ball my last year, and the girl that I had been dating at that point for, I don't remember now, but I, it had to be eight months to a year or longer, I don't even honestly remember, um, but um, and it doesn't matter anymore, um, <laughs> but uh, 
I thought, like, we're getting married, like, this is the plan, like, this is just kind of the, the path of life, right? Well, in one week's time, what I thought about the plan of my life, um, all of a sudden, it's like everything that I thought to be true and thought to be known and thought was like the next steps completely came crashing down in my life. Literally, like, Monday of that week, I would have told you that that was the plan. On Wednesday of that week, uh, I was very challenged with uh, truths that were revealed that were like, okay, God, maybe this is not the girl I'm going to marry. By Friday, she wasn't even at the island anymore when she came there at the beginning of the year to, to work the summer. She was on her way back to South Carolina, North Carolina. Well, another fact I don't remember. Um, <laughs> clearly. Um, boy, we were so madly in love. Um, <laughs> so, oh, I can laugh about it now. But that in the middle of that week, the in some of like I, I've been talking with some different kids that are in, I say kids, and they're like in their mid-20s and they're just trying to figure out life. And I and I remember listening to their stories now about the stress of like what is next? Like who am I gonna marry and what am I gonna do? And all of those things, like when you're like in I was 22, it was like the biggest crisis of my life in that week. And by the end of the week, she was gone. I wasn't going back to, by Friday, not only was she gone and I was not going back to school, I had been offered a position at the Bible Institute to go on full-time staff. Um, And so now I'm not even going back to Tennessee to school. I'm now moving to New York after school. I've got to drive to Tennessee and drive back. And like, it was a week of, of uh, in the middle, the emotional expense in crisis was, for me at that time, all-time high. It was the first time I, I can remember looking back at a crisis in my own life where there were some very specific truths revealed. And you're going to find this pattern in your own crisis, and we're going to see it in Scripture today. That in the middle of that week, there were truths that became aware that I became aware of, and I was challenged with what was true uh, in my life and in the circumstances. That was like step one of the crisis. What are you going to do with these new truths that have now come up? The second step, it's the second thing that happened was was are you going to trust? Are you going to trust uh, what you? know to be true maybe about God and his word as it's revealed because if you're someone who believes in walking with God when crisis happens and you're struggling and wrestling with what's true now you're going to find what's true about God and his word and you're going to go to that truth and say okay do I really trust this and in my life trust was confirmed but the next step was big the next step for all of us in crisis is the obedience step So truths revealed or challenged, trust was confirmed in my life. God, I do trust you. I do know your word to be true. All these things that have been revealed in my life in this, what seemed at the time massive crisis, now looking back, it was like just this little thing that God was using on a blip of the radar of the pattern of my life and the path of my life. But obedience was a huge step. Would I choose to obey God and his word? And the final step of all of the crisis that we go through is the outcome. The outcome. At the point of the step three, obedience, it's really difficult when you choose to obey to trust God with the outcome because 
And you see on there, I put the outcome is complete. But you're like, I had no idea in the summer of 99 what God's plan was for my life. I didn't know the outcome, but if I trusted God, then it's his outcome. It's his responsibility. My responsibility is obedience. His responsibility is the outcome. And if it's his responsibility, it's already complete. Think Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So when the crisis happens and truths are revealed and you're challenged by these truths, are you going to trust him with all of your heart? And what's the next part? Lean on your, not on your own understanding. There's a tension between every one of these pieces is tension between the truth. Now there's tension to the trust. There's tension to the obedience. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. That's the obedience step. I'm going to, I'm going to trust and obey. Reminds you of knowing him. Right? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. I was confused by that as a, a young kid singing that song. Is that really all there is? It just trust and obey seems. But yeah, trust and obey. And the outcome is his. What does he say in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? You acknowledge me with all, all of your ways. And, and what? He directs the paths. It's not your path. It's his path. It's his plan. So I can trust him with the outcome. And the outcome is actually complete. I can't see the end of that path, but he sees all of it. So that's crisis number one. Let me walk you through crisis number two. Crisis number two, and, and, and sharing um, very bluntly and um, vulnerably about crisis number two might make some of you uncomfortable. Crisis number two is summer of 2005. Now my wife and I are married, about a year and a half into marriage, working full-time at the Bible Institute. And some of you know my story. I've shared when Pastor Dave asked me back, I think it was the first time I preached here after moving back in 13, I preached in 14, and God just was like, you need to preach about your story, about what, what, what God did through the crisis of your life in, in 2005. In 2005, working at the Bible Institute, I was struggling at the time with internet pornography. On a Wednesday, I was asked to resign from Word of Life. We were told on Wednesday, okay, married for about a year and a half at the time. Wednesday, you need to be off property, packed, house, everything by Friday. A lot of time has passed since then, so I don't feel the pain to that part of the crisis, but boy, did my wife feel the pain in that crisis, in that moment. We had no idea what we were going to do or where we were going to go. My in-laws happened to be here, my wife's mom and dad. I remember calling my father-in-law and saying, I've hurt your daughter tremendously. I've not followed through on the vows that I committed just a year and a half ago. And in that moment, my wife learned truths about me that she, she didn't know to be true. And I was being challenged with the truths of God's word in my own life and my own sin that were life-rocking. So what's true about God and his word in that moment of my own revelation of sin and what was true now about our life? Are we going to trust God in the crisis? On Friday, truck, I think, nearly packed, great friend, Jason Perkins, rolls up on the, on the porch, knocks on our door, and is like, what's going on, mate? And um, shared what was going on, and he's like, you need to come live with me and, and Kristen and 
and I, I think I know exactly what you need to do and where you need to go next. Because in my conversation with my father-in-law a couple days before, I have no idea how I'm going to provide for your daughter or where we're going to go or where we're going to live. Talk about a crisis. So we end up moving to Maine, living with Jason Kristen for a little bit. And in that time, God continually revealing his word in our life, in my life, for the change that was necessary to bring out the hidden things in my life and to humble myself before the God that I say that I love, to say that I trust. The truth was revealed and trust was confirmed. God, I know that your word is right. And even in the middle of this wicked crisis that I just can't even believe, a crisis that she didn't create but she's living through because of my decisions, are you going to obey me? Are you going to choose to obey me? Are you going to choose to apply God's word in your life? And so obedience was chosen. We're going to see this over and over in your crisis, my crisis, and in Joseph's crisis today. That you don't need to understand completely to trust or obey immediately. And in God's provision and in his sovereignty of bringing us to Maine, we obeyed. We had I, there was another phone call. I remember calling my mother-in-law and father-in-law again months later. I have no idea how we're going to pay for rent. Another life crisis. And I could share with you what God did as we were confronted with truth, trusted him, obeyed, even though we didn't understand the, the ramifications ultimately of obeying, what the path or the plan would be. But in all of my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you and let you direct my paths. So obedience happened, and the outcome was his. And boy, I could tell you story after story after story of his mercy and his grace and the outpouring of his life that, that um, I'll probably allude to again and connect at the very end today. But I praise God for the crisis. Do you ever go back and visit those monumental moments of crisis in your past? I go back to this crisis of 2005 multiple times a week because to go back to that, it's a monumental moment in our lives, and when I go visit it over and over again, it becomes a monument, a memorial of God's faithfulness over and over and over. Little tiny moment that becomes a monumental memorial to God's faithfulness, right? challenged with truth. I confirmed my trust of his word, who God was in my life. I obeyed. I chose to obey. We obeyed God together, and the outcome was his. But boy, there was a lot we didn't know when we were married, a lot we didn't know in 2005 when we moved away, and a lot we didn't know when the kids were born, and a lot we didn't know, right? Like, that's your story too, right? Crisis after crisis after crisis. You say, I thought it was going to be a sweet little Christmas Eve service, like, this is not my usual church thing, and now you've like made things slightly awkward this morning, and where's the Christmas stuff? Well, I'll turn in your Bibles if you have a copy of, of the Word. It'll be on the screen as well, but Matthew chapter 1. Look at this crisis. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
Joseph, her fiance, was a good man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Probably a few crises right there, but I want to spend the time today talking about Joseph's crisis. What do we know about Joseph? Because uh, Joseph's the guy who's not in the spotlight, like Mary's the spotlight character, right? I mean, Jesus is the ultimate spotlight character, but Mary, of all the people that aren't God, Mary's the one who's the biggest spotlight in all that's related to and surrounding the story of Jesus' birth. Joseph is just the shadow guy. What do we actually know about Joseph? Uh, well, in Matthew 13, 55, he was a carpenter. Um, if you really want to be super technical there, that word could also mean uh, mason, but I don't want to blow your minds that, wait, he wasn't a carpenter. It kind of can be used in both ways. Maybe he's a general contractor, so he could build the foundation, the walls, put in the windows, like, I don't know, and build the table that sits inside the house. Um, but uh, Matthew 13, 55, he's a carpenter. Uh, Matthew 1, 19, a righteous and faithful man. He's a righteous and faithful man. It's significant. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that righteousness in a second. Uh, Matthew 1 and Luke 2, he's a descendant of David. Important because uh, just in case that this is uh, one of the first years maybe you're connected to Jesus' birth and the story of Jesus' birth, um, we know that through Mary's bloodline, okay, it's important um, that, da- that Jesus had to be a part of the line and lineage of David, right? So through Mary is the blood relative to David, but Joseph, who is not his father, he's just the earthly legal father. So now you have the bloodline to David's throne through Mary, and the legality part is through uh, Joseph. He is a descendant of David. Uh, he is called Mary's husband, Matthew 1, 16, and then Jesus' earthly father, Matthew 13, Luke 3, and John 1. Interesting that when you read the different Christmas story passages, Matthew and Luke 2, uh, you'll notice that it really kind of is very specifically never calls uh, Joseph Jesus' father or dad or papa or any of that um, to, to make sure that it's very clear that uh, he is just an earthly legal father, uh, the earthly dad that the father in heaven chose for him, which is an amazing thing um, to be thought that this guy that we're seeing in the middle of the beginning of the story in his crisis is the guy that Jesus uh, is going to have as his earthly dad. It says a lot, like the fact that, you know, he's called righteous and just, and like, can you imagine being that guy? I know you've probably heard a thousand Christmas messages and you've been challenged with that, but maybe you just need to settle on that for a quick second. This is the guy that God of the universe chooses to have to deal with a perfect son. How many times in his his life with Jesus was like, dad, I don't think that's right. Dad, I really think he could probably do it this way or say it this way. But one thing I thought of this year that I never thought about before, how amazing to have Jesus as your son. Every time the birthday comes around, you're like, hey, what does mom really want for her birthday? Huh? Huh? He would nail it every time. That would be amazing. In Scripture, though, we, we just see Joseph through the early life of Christ 
The last time that we see Joseph mentioned is when Jesus is 12. So we assume that at some point Joseph died. We just don't know when or, or what the circumstances were. Jesus stays home until he's 30 before he goes out on his public ministry. And on the cross, we see Jesus specifically tell John to take care of Mary, his mother. So Joseph's, Joseph's gone, been gone for a long time, it seems, at that point. Those are just some of the very few things that we know about Joseph. But the fact that God chose him is significant, significant. All right, so what do we know about the passage that we've already read, starting in verse 18? This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while, he was still a, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Joseph is engaged at this point to Mary. Uh, typically, the numbers are in the neighborhood of like 14 is what we don't really know, but custom would be somewhere between 12 plus, which is mind-boggling, but it is true for that time. Somewhere in this situation of engagement, okay, um, which is different than ours, in case you're confused by that, uh, they would have gone through a very specific procedure or, or uh, the part of the customary signing of the declaration uh, of, of the, the certificate of marriage, but it's not consummated yet. There's actually probably about a year's time between when they would say we're getting married and then they would actually live together and consummate the marriage. And in that one year of time is a time where you'd find out whether you're going to be faithful to each other. So it's a significant moment of time here where you're proving faithfulness. And then at some point, maybe after the three months of, of Mary being with her cousin Elizabeth, so now she's probably about to start showing or is showing. And in, in that moment somewhere, she's got to tell Joseph, I'm pregnant. In this moment of crisis, it is devastating beyond measure. Like, it's not like you just, you know, get engaged and you're throwing a few pictures on their socials and like the whole town knows that they're in this moment of faithfulness, proven faithfulness to each other. There's a contract signed, time goes on, I'm pregnant. So kind of like, but on a whole other level, like my week in 99 where I thought, all these things to be true about my future that came crashing down and resorted, I was challenged with new truths that I didn't know to be there before. Here's Joseph's new truth. What could he possibly think to be true about this revelation of her being pregnant? Because she's like, it's the Holy Spirit. What have you lost your mind as well as, right? Like. Absolute life crisis to the max. I mean, if Mary had sex with another man, this is life-ruining scandal. She would be in a position where she's disobeyed God, she's dishonored her family, she's disgraced Joseph. And Joseph, being the man that he's called in a moment a righteous man, he would clearly know that if they were still functioning according to the actual law, which the Jews had gotten very relaxed 
to the inconvenient laws at the time. But according to the law, back in Deuteronomy chapter 22, God laid out all of these very specific laws related to uh, sexual immorality and harlotry is in that. And, and they're all laid out very specific because God was serious about keeping sin out of the house, out of the village, out of the town, out of the country, out of the group of people. You need to take this seriously. In Deuteronomy 22, her choice to become pregnant during this time, if they were following the law, would have meant being stoned to death. We struggle to even fathom that. Like, are you kidding me? And even at the time, what was more common was instead of, we're going to kill you for your decision, we're just going to bring you in front of the whole town and publicly shame you instead. So what would have happened was, if this happened, she's now found to be pregnant, she was unfaithful, they've already made this contract, but she's broken it, now you bring her in front of everybody, she's showing as pregnant, it's obvious, and now you shame her. You literally ruin her life so that you can clear your name from the situation and go about your business. One of the passages would describe it as, you, you, you put her away. But if he chose this, Mary's life would have been absolutely ruined. She'd have no way to support herself. It, it, it would just be condemning her to a life of pity and shame. What a tough spot for Joseph to be in. What do we know about verse 19? That's true. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, it calls him righteous. It is the same word that's used back in the Old Testament in Genesis of Noah's righteousness. When it says that he was righteous, he was blameless, and he walked with God. This is a person who is morally and ethically righteous, upright, or just. And we immediately see it in his response. We also immediately see it in what's not written there. There's no resentment. There's no anger. There's no malice. The only way this is possible is if when confronted with the new truths that are there, he immediately knows what's true about God, and he responds by choosing to trust. I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I don't know if Joseph had any clue at this moment, which would have been the lowest moment in his life. The, I mean, Pastor Dave said earlier, like, we don't know how young this, this kid is he 14, 15, 16? I mean, how much crisis could he have gone through at this point in his life, right? Now all of a sudden he's faced with potentially feeling like the, 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 the suffering and pain and the emotions that come with the truth that's now been revealed is my life in this moment feels like it's over, but my decision could potentially end the life of another person and her baby. It's the lowest moment, but what he doesn't know is that it's going to become one of the most monumental moments in history. 
In verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. He's considering, contemplating, working through. You, you remember those crises that you had in your life where you're like, man, I got to sleep on this. And maybe the sleeping on it is like day after day after day. When the crisis is big enough, it, it consumes everything. You struggle for it not to consume everything. And he's considering like, what am I going to do? But he's already proven based on what's been true in his life that he trusts God or otherwise his response already would have been different. I trust you, God. And he's contemplating and considering, and so he, he's sleeping on it. And while he's sleeping on it, an angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Afraid of what? Taking Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He now also gives him truth. He now recognizes and knows what is true from God. He had already trusted God on, on an amazing level because of his righteousness, his justness. Like, this is a good dude. But now he's faced with more truth. Insert more truth. Don't be afraid of what? What would he be afraid of in this? And the passage describes it perfectly. Don't be afraid of taking Mary as your wife. What about taking Mary as his wife would cause fear? It's fear of man. Man's response, the ridicule, the mockery, the rejection. Fear of all the unknown of the future. Now, in case in this moment you're still struggling maybe to connect to how emotional, how complicated this moment of the crisis would be. Like he's, con he's trying to figure this all out and he goes to sleep and now he's hit with more truth. But how serious, how, how, how complicated and, 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 and tore up inside would he probably have been in this moment? I want you to listen to uh, a modern telling through spoken word of probably what it was like for Joseph going through this complicated mess of a crisis. Could this happen? I'm just, I'm just speechless. If we were getting married, I thought God was with us. Every time she speaks, I get shivers from my bones. I feel so betrayed. I feel so alone. I don't believe it. I just, I just can't. Because if it means what I think it does, she's broken my heart. And she won't. She won't stop with the half-truths and the lies. Of course she's played away from home. Either that or she's pawned away the pies. I can't believe she did this. She's got barely three months gone. And, and what's more, she's got the nerve to say, I've got it all wrong. <laughs> wrong? Oh, hang on. So you're talking about the opposite of right? You got a baby bump shown through your clothes and now we're too tight. 
How can you do this? We made a vow not to go there till the way, didn't I? It breaks my heart. She's left me for another guy. But what makes it worse is your obsession to lie. I don't want your excuses. It's still to see. At least give me the decency of admitting you're a cheat. She tells a story. Listen, Joe, an angel appeared. Is she taking a mick or just being weird? Joe, I'm with child, a boy, a son. You know, there's an heir to David's throne, she says. Well, he's the one. So, so you're giving birth to God's chosen son. This bun in your oven, then, he's the one, as in the one who will reign for all the time. <laughs> Mary, have you had too much wine? Look, just, just save it, all right? You made your bed, so lie in it. Oh, hang on, you already did, and there was someone else there with you in it. And that's when it stormed off and made my exit. Why did she do this? I don't need this grief. I don't want a divorce, but it's the only course left for me. The wedding's off. She's had an affair. You don't believe me, the proof's right there. But although it's fair, I won't make it public. I won't cause a scene. Then later that night, I had this dream. An angel turned up, said, Mary's record's clean. Don't cancel the wedding, don't freak out. It was through God's Holy Spirit this miracle came about. So his story checks out. <laughs> After all this time, now I know she didn't cheat because God's given me this sign. My heart skips a beat, I can't take this in. The angel says call him Jesus because he'll save people from their sin. I asked the angel in my vision, what's my role, what's my mission? The angel said, I'm glad you asked. Marry Mary, that's a task. So then I woke up and did what he said. And a bit later on, Mary and I wed. Some months later, Jesus arrived. There were wise men with gifts and shepherds at his side. I was dad on earth and, and he was my boy and, and God was his father who he also brought joy. And when I remember his humble birth, the penny drops of why he came to this earth. I don't believe it, I just, I just can't. Because if it means what I think it does, he's God incarnate. The embodiment of God in skin and bone, my stepson will live amongst us, so we'll never be alone. And here's a point I need to tell. Jesus' name is also Emmanuel. That's good news you can trust, because his name means God is with us. So through all the angst and the, 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 the difficulty of what was going on in the crisis, amazing when verse 20 says, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary of your wife as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did exactly as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. Think about all that he had no clue about. He said, God, I'm going to obey. I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. But boy, there is a whole lot he doesn't know. There's about to be a hundred mile harsh journey with a wife who's about to give birth. Can you imagine him along the way? Like she's like, uh, and he's just like, please don't give birth. Please don't give birth. Please don't give birth. Please can we please? 
Can we please get to Bethlehem? <clears throat> Just a little while longer. I mean, this, this guy, I, mean, I, can't, I can't imagine that. I had 16-year-old, like, what? But then they get there, and however he got through the birth that night, that's an amazing miracle. You say, Lyle, what about her? I know, but having been through and stood by and caught my daughter when it happened, it's miraculous that Joseph walked this path and this plan that God had for him, not knowing all of these steps were part of it. There were threats along the way, I'm sure, by animals and thieves. They get to the barn. He's born, but then King Herod issues a decree. Every boy under two is killed. They flee to Egypt when the angel tells them to go. They're on the run, but then baby boys are slaughtered in Bethlehem. He's probably overwhelmed with guilt. And then the weight of raising the Son of God. All of these details that he would have no idea about. God, I'm going to obey you. Knowing that the outcome is complete. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. Talking through Joseph's crisis, sharing about my crisis, and thinking through truth and trust, obedience, outcome. Is there any prompting in your heart to your own story, to your own crisis that maybe has been in your past, your present, or will certainly be in your future? Not as many uh, young people here today as we normally have, but I'm sure that there may be some that your current truth that's been revealed has challenged you to maybe break up a relationship. But the tension that's between the truth and trust is, but look at all the time that I've invested. That week in 99 was a big part of my challenge, the tension. Like, I thought this was the plan, and look at all that's already happened, and you're struggling with, like, this is good, but God's revealing truth that says, no, this isn't good. And you're, there's a tension between what's true and choosing to trust and obey Maybe God has prompted you that you need to serve, but you're overwhelmed with your time and your schedule. And so the truth is, God's word says you need to serve, you need to be a part of the body. You're not going to be fulfilled or satisfied in your walk with Christ unless you do serve, unless you are using your gifts. But yet there's this tension between knowing the truth and choosing to trust and obey. Maybe God's told you, clearly that you need to give, but money is tight. It's Christmas. Pastor didn't even mention that it's the end of the year, and so there's one more Sunday left to give, but everybody's going to be broke next week. Probably already broke this week, right? But did God's truth reveal that we're stewards? We need to trust and obey and trust them with the outcome. Maybe God's challenged that you need to forgive somebody. What they've done just seems so unforgivable. What's God's word say? What is the truth that's revealed about forgiveness? What do you know to be true? Are you going to trust? Will you obey and trust him with the outcome? God's prompting you, maybe asking you to do something that's not easy. 
as you're going through the crisis, you don't know the details of the future or the outcome. You have no idea what's going to happen. But remember, the step of obedience is our responsibility and the outcome is God's. Many times, though, in churches like ours, we're educated beyond our level of obedience. Say, wait, what do you mean by that? We don't really need to know more. We need to do more. Do something with what we already know to be true. We study God's word and we take it in and we take it in and we take it in. And then we sit on it. And what does James tell us? You better be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Because if you are a doer of what you know to be true, then you actually walk around in a state of deception, thinking that you're something that you're not. It's quite a warning. And it's true, we need to do more with what we already know to be true. What do you know to be true about God's word? And whatever the crisis is that you're in, let me put that, that slide up of, of the four steps that happen in your crisis, my crisis, Joseph's crisis. You could apply it to Mary's crisis and Zechariah and, and uh, Elizabeth's crisis, the shepherd's crisis. I mean, you can look at your crisis and you say, for Joseph in verse 18, truth was revealed. He was challenged by new truths. But in verse 19, his trust of God was confirmed, even though he was still struggling with the step of obedience. And in between every step is tension. Are you going to choose to obey based on what you know to be true that you can trust God? And then you leave the outcome up to him. Now, we haven't really said anything about the outcome. The outcome is in verse 21. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. What's the outcome? He had no idea of this monumental moment in his life that would change history forever. The outcome, God's plan. Trust me with all of your heart and lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, Joseph, acknowledge me, and I'm going to direct your paths. I'm gonna, it's my plan and my path. You're just a wrong for the journey. The outcome was he'll save his people from their sins. Was that outcome worth the crisis, the pain, the struggle? Of course it was. We need to regularly go back and visit the monumental moments of the crisis of our lives because they're memorials that prove the faithfulness of God. When I go back and I look at summer of 99, summer of 2005, especially 2005, all that I did not know but I was confronted with truth about myself, trusted God, obeyed God, trusted him with then the outcome. It's his plan, not my plan. I'm along for the journey. I want the word of God to be hidden in my heart that I will not sin against him because the word of God is also a lamp unto my feet and a light in my path. So every step of my life, I'm, 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 I'm being challenged with the truth of his word, but I'm trusting him with it, obeying him in it. And now as I'm walking this path, he's lighting every step. Every step doesn't mean up and to the right. Boy, there have been some other massive crises since 2005, which I assume you would know. Your life is the same. But just like trusting God for Joseph, the outcome was saving people from their sins. Jesus is born. Massive, amazing, the love of Christ over for the whole world outcome that he had he just couldn't even fathom and our life is the same you can't fathom what god has planned 
for you, for your family, to take your crisis, what, what might be considered pain in your life, and turn it into your pulpit. To take that, that as, as Paul told us, when you go through these, these challenges, these crises, these hard times, he is just turning you into someone who's qualified now to comfort somebody else with those things. In our own church, I've walked with dozens of men now, multiple dozens of men, through a challenge to become pure and have victory in their life in an area that I struggled in and, and basically just flashbanged my family in 2005. But the outcome was God's because I trusted him and I obeyed him. And praise God, the outcome, even though it's not always been easy, has been so glorious. Could never imagine. Is that your story too? Could never imagine that God would do so many amazing things because even though I don't understand, I chose to obey. I hope that this gives you a pattern for your crisis, whatever and whenever it happens, that the next time, whatever that situation is, you will stop and say, what is true? What do I know about God and his word? Can I trust it? Sometimes that's the step you get hung up on. And if that's the step you're hung up on where you're like going through this thing and you're like, I know what his word says, but man, I'm struggling with attention to trust him. Would you find somebody from the, the church, from the body of Christ, somebody who can be an encourager, or a, an accountability to help walk through those things? Because, um, I mean, this week, multiple people that I, I talked with this week, that that's the tension right now in their life. I know this to be true, but, but am I going to choose to trust? God's word says this, but I'm going to trust that and then choose to put it into practice by obedience. Be a doer, not a hearer, and trust God with the rest. Let me pray. Father God, I pray because I know there are crises happening now. There are going to be some in the future. I pray that we would take this pattern of walking through a crisis as we see Joseph walk through it. We see our own lives. As we think back about moments that... Um, they're probably really difficult at the time. And when we look back at your faithfulness, the clarity is overwhelming. You had a plan the whole time. God, forgive us for being impatient and um, untrusting when you have an absolute perfect record of being trustworthy. Keep us from doubting you like the devil to Eve did God really say, help us to choose in that moment to say, yes, he did. God is trustworthy. God is good. His word says these promises to be true, and I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to choose to put it into action by obeying it. And God, thank you that even though we don't completely understand, all of our future is in your hands. And we trust you. We love you. We thank you for Jesus, for his grace and his mercy. Thank you that your demonstrate, the demonstration of your faithfulness even came in the birth of your son, Jesus, in Bethlehem. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.